So we're going to pick up from where we left off last week with the uh, Peterson, Peugeot, and Douglas Murray interview. Um, we got some more clips to play and discuss. Um, but first, uh, don't forget to subscribe to Basically Related Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can find us on YouTube as well and subscribe there. Remember to hit the notification bell so you know when we drop new content. Also, you can sign up for the monthly AMA episodes at basicallyrelated.com. Ask a question at basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA. We answer all your questions in a monthly episode delivered to members only. Um, so this first question is um, for the this first uh, clip is from Douglas Murray. He talks about like kind of his two points that he wants to bring to Peterson and Peugeot. Um, I thought it was I thought it was important that we should play this like in its entirety so that we can kind of pull it apart from there. We might be returning to to this this what I described as these these two two problems we've got to address. The first is, is whether 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 it's possible to accept the the idea of religion being true in some sense and essentially philosophy for the masses, which is how many nineteenth century thinkers were already thinking about it. That it's that 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 you can say it's true in some sense, and it's the best way to allow the largest number of people to contend with the deepest set of ideas because philosophy is only ever going to be an elite sport and in no derogatory term of the meaning elite, but only a small number of people are going to engage in it. Most people are not going to engage in it. Therefore, religion is the best means to engage with meaning in the world. That's one way of seeing things to begin with. But the second, and, and that, that's, that's something we could contend with, but the second thing I wanted to say is, is, is just to give Jonathan a breather, as it were, on some of my demands, which is, which is what about the non-religious in this? And the non-religious problem in all of this, it comes back to what you described earlier, Jordan, as the patterns problem, the patterns we see in the universe, including patterns of truth. What does the non-believer do when they find, for instance, the beauty of a mathematical formula which works and is there and is, and is true? What does it mean? What, what does it mean when we find the extraordinary patterns in nature? Uh, um, it, what, what does it mean when we find patterns in our own lives and what you describe as things like that thing that people can, can, can recognize of needing to see through the void and see the glimpse of light? The, the first argument of religion being kind of philosophy for the masses has kind of resonated with me as like a really strong argument. Um, something like that I struggle with in feeling like we should let the people that can't do philosophy be religious. And then the people that can, they, like, they understand that it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but this, these kind of symbols work for those people. Um, I don't know if you guys have like resonated with that at all, but like that, that to me has been something I've grappled with in the past of feeling that way. Yeah. I think about St. Bonaventure when he was talking about the, philosophy and reason and faith and revelation and theology and why why you need both but why i i suppose faith is more essential or or why revelation is more essential than philosophy because you're saying if if religion is based on philosophy then only a few people can engage in it right but if it's based on faith then everybody can engage in it or if it's based on revelation it, it you don't need to be of a certain intellect and training to come to these essential truths. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that there is a certainly a sense in which religion participates in philosophy, but must go beyond it. Right. And I don't, I don't think there's any way to get out of that religion might be the best way for people to engage in meaning, mm -hmm. broadly speaking, because it, it transcends any level of education uh, or background. Right. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, you can't necessarily get rid of that unavoidable truth that there's like a hierarchy. You know, there are some yeah. people that are going to like climb the heights of philosophy and an intellectual life. And that's not necessarily to say that that's better than living a more mundane life. But that hierarchy has to exist and therefore there has to be a system that works for everybody in that spectrum, if you will. Mm -hmm. I, I know that like... Um how is it? Oh, simplicas, oh, simplicas sancticas or something? Uh, like holy simplicity. Mm. And sometimes I know uh, Nietzsche made kind of poked fun at that, that there's this simplicity of faith that, that for almost for the, uh, almost mm -hmm. for simple-minded people right. that just kind of obey. 
and that there seems to be even uh, Christ's own, um, I, I don't, I don't say, um, hailing of that or mm-hmm. or valorizing that of like mm-hmm. it's better to just have simple faith, pure right. faith. You must become like a child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Than it is to engage in philosophy. Yeah, um, we were we were just talking mm-hmm. about kind of the hierarchy mm-hmm. and, and you mm-hmm. know. Top and bottom. I, I mean, I've talked about this before. That's the great thing about Catholicism is you can engage in it in multiple levels. Um, but it does seem to be, in the end, though, that kind of revelation and faith is the best way for everyone to right. participate. It also begs the question, like, all right, so let's say if we are convinced that this religion thing does work for uh, people that can't think as high intellectually as someone would want, Um there's still a question of like, why does it work? And this mm-hmm. is like the second yeah. question that um, Murray poses. Like, then what are, what are the patterns? It's like, why is it that when you behave that way, things flow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's almost a derogatory sense of grouping people into, well, these are, these are the masses um, that, you know, can't philosophize. And mm-hmm. it's best that people live that way for a utilitarian purpose. Um, but I don't think that necessarily negates the truth of religion. Um, and in my mind, it almost um, points to it. Yeah. Because if this is the best way for mankind to flourish, then wouldn't that mean that there's some validity to that mode of living? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because this is what you know, this is what makes a society function um, the best. Uh, like, why? Why is that? A negation of the truth, just because it's utilitarian. Yep. Um, we could say that there's a utility to it and more, right? Um, the two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when that um, argument, if you want to label it as an argument, is when that argument is often posed, there's a um, presupposition that it's not true. Mm-hmm. That um, it it just works uh, on a utilitarian basis. Right. It's like, well, why can't it be yes, utilitarian, but also utilitarian because it's true <laughs> right yeah um so in, in my mind maybe i'm missing something but in my mind those two things are not mutually exclusive um yeah i think so. it's a, it's a misconception of uh thinking <clears throat> that like a rational idea is superior to something like faith mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you take that premise then yes like th- there is this hierarchy and like this works for the masses and it's utilitarian but there might be some secret knowledge that's up there for yeah. the philosophers. Um, yeah. it, it, it's almost like for those who can't do philosophy, there's faith. Yes. But the thing is, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if you've ever talked to many different people of faith, some of them are very simple and some have maybe no more than a high school education, mm-hmm. but they can tell you some pretty insane things yeah. about life uh-huh. yeah. and, you know, and, and about, and about God and about religion mm-hmm. um, that they have no formal education in. Yeah. And then philosophers and, and monks go to like these high depths to like find these truths that like, you know, like your grandma already knew. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's funny. Exactly. Yeah. And so that I guess to say that just because it's, oh, it's simple faith mm-hmm. that you don't know truth. It's like, well, yeah, that doesn't seem to be the case. There's also a sense, I think that um, a philosopher who is, who is actually a philosopher. Like you think of like Socrates, um, not like these academics in their mm-hmm. ivory towers, but yeah. the real philosopher if he takes what he's philosophizing, philosophizing about seriously, he actually lives a simpler life <laughs> too. Mm. And so, in in the the practical aspects, uh, you know, the person, you know, to, to put it roughly, who lives by faith, and a person who lives by um, philosophy, practically speaking, their lives are kind of similar. I remember um, there was a professor uh, at the Josephinum in my seminary uh, who took his philosophy very seriously and lived super simply. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he had no TV. Um, you know, he would eat very simple food. Uh, you know, just talking to him, very down to earth. And you would think like, oh, you know, where's the, um, where's the intellect? Where's, right. you know, but like he was taking his philosophy seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I equate that to Socrates, like, you know, kind of uh, roaming around Athens, not exactly like this affluent, you know, um, oh, I'm thinking about the stars. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, he said, all I know is that I know nothing, right? And um, he, he was always asking questions. It was, and he, it, it, practically speaking, his life, his life looked simple. 
it almost looked like the life of a farmer almost, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so while there is this juxta- juxtaposition, of course, of people living um, by reason and philosophy and by faith, um, you know, maybe they're more similar than we would like to think yeah. um, on some level. So Yeah, there's also um, kind of this attempt to remove religion or like save it for the, the masses per se, um, but remove it from the elites um, is kind of, again, like a, a misconstruing of what the religious instinct actually is. Um, there was a clip from Dave Smith and Joe Rogan. They were talking. Um, he's a uh, libertarian commentator, political commentator and a comedian. Uh, but he goes on this kind of tirade about like the uh, benefits that Christianity has, has given to the West, but then also what happens when you try to pull religion out. It doesn't necessarily get replaced with mm-hmm. something rational. Um, I wanted to play that clip, but we should play it in its entirety because it, it is a good clip that kind of ties all of this together. Or for better or for worse, and there was a lot of both. There's a lot of good and bad, but Christianity, I mean, you know, had a huge impact on civilization, and yeah. it's like it was the the uh, foundational ideology of Western civilization. Now that doesn't mean you have to be a Christian, but it, it, it all of that is really dismissed. Like yeah. the contributions that Christianity made to the world that so many of us enjoy. You know, the thing, like the flaw to me at least, the flaw in atheism is that it's always, it, the, the idea is always sold as like, well, look, r- you have like, um, you have reason and then you have faith. And faith is believing something in the absence of reason, so reason is preferable to faith. Um oh. But the the issue is when you remove religion, it never is in any mass level replaced with reason. It's always replaced with another religion. Right. You know, it's and and because the desire to to worship is so hardwired into humans that like, you know, you see you look at the the most insane like woke kids on some college campus. They're all atheists. Yeah. But they're not atheists. They're the most religious zealots amongst us. You know right. what I mean? So it's like you remove th- this thing and then it's like the promise of this vacuum will be filled with reason never really comes true. And and at least while you're right when you say like, okay, well, these religions are very old and outdated. But the flip side to that is like, well, they've been stable for thousands of years. Th- these have at least been able to work. And if you accept that, basically, there's going to be some religion, w- whatever it is. You know, like the Nazis basically got rid of religion the commies really got rid of religion but there was just state religion is what you know filled the void and it was much worse much worse than christianity um so you're like if there's going to be a religion one way or the other i'd probably like the one that is at least has thousands of years of stability behind it and has at least like moderated on its worst issues yeah so i feel like he's kind of right exactly where douglas murray is yeah um and seeing the like the practical aspect of religion, knowing that if you just take it out and try to like, let's rationally explain the world to people, there's still this uh, impulse to worship. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, this is where Douglas Murray comes with that second question. What of the patterns? Yeah. What of the why is this actually happening? If we're going to take religion in a scientific view, it's revealing a certain truth to us. Like as these patterns play out, when people worship the highest thing, their lives get better. Why? Yeah. Um, so it, it really kind of puts the non-believer in a certain position when they, even if they try to just take a purely scientific view of things, when they look at the pragmatism of religion, yeah. they're stuck with like, wait, why is this working? Yeah. I think that second question that Douglas Murray um, posed uh, was really profound. And I have uh, come to grips with that question personally. So a little story time for <laughs> let's go uh, from my past, but uh, I remember when I was convicted of my own faith. It was because of this idea of uh, the patterns in life and the the moments of beauty that I would perceive, and it, it just brought me out of myself. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking about this rationally. I was like, you know, maybe none of this is true. And I could live my life in a totally materialistic, um, nihilistic way if I wanted to. Like, but what would I make of those moments of beauty, you know, and love? You know, when I like hear a beautiful song or read some beautiful literature or look at a beautiful sunset, like, is that, would that be a contradiction in my soul Mm. if I'm living according to a materialistic and nihilistic worldview? 
um, ultimately, that's also what um, it, that was a big part of uh, me coming to my own vocation as a priest was like those moments. There was something in me that I just wanted to give myself over to that feeling entirely. And I knew that if I wasn't pursuing that um, entirely, when I did encounter those moments, even if it would be once a week or once a month, I'd be like, I, I want to break out of myself and just give myself to that, you know? Uh, and, and so I think, I think that's a universal sentiment. Like when you experience moments of beauty, moments of love, you recognize uh, certain patterns in your life that are transcendent. Um, I don't care how materialistic you are, but like it pulls you out of yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it, it, it it's like the divine, like shaking your shoulders, saying like, "Wake up!" <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, as as that um, Joe Rogan clip um, mm -hmm. pointed out, what was the guy's name? Dave Smith. Dave Smith. Um, there's a, there's an innate desire to worship. Mm. Um, you know, and, and his point about the uh, atheist, the college <laughs> campus atheist, uh, that the they're the most religious zealots among us. Mm -hmm. You know, he he didn't really qualify that, but I completely agree. You know, you, you know, on the surface, you can say I'm an atheist, but then you go, uh, you know, with your groupies and play du Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. or go to football games and you're ritualizing mm -hmm. um, behavior and you put something at the top of your hierarchy, you know, give your full attention to it. That's worship, right? That's that yeah. instinct to worship. So, yeah, Lee said that often of like people say they're spiritual, but not religious. It's like actually you're religious, but not spiritual. Yeah, right. exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. that's probably more true. Yeah. You're, you're more fundamentally uh, religious than you are spiritual, mm -hmm. because uh, I think religion precedes spirituality and yeah. that it binds you to a certain framework and structure for which you can then be spiritual yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, religious, not spiritual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when you were playing that clip, I, gosh, I was thinking of so many things, uh, particularly from um, Jung and uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, especially with Jung and this idea that man is not completely rational, that there's an irrational element to man that needs to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, now, for Jung, um, the, the irrational is not that which is contrary to, to the rational or reason, but that which kind of goes beyond, mm -hmm. and that there are needs that the human person has that can't just be fulfilled in a rationally structured life. You know, that explaining everything through science will not fulfill him. Right. He needs something to be initiated in, um, in a larger context, and, and, you know, within himself, the people around him, and even the cosmos. What is my place mm -hmm. um, yep. in the cos in the cosmos? Um, it, uh, Joseph Campbell has these four functions of myth that he calls it, or four functions of religion. Uh, it's the psychological, sociological, cosmological, and mystical. Mm. And it, it kind of expands out. You know, so you sort of have, what is my relation within myself? What is my interior, uh, my interior life like? My relation to other people. Then my relation to nature, you know, in the universe even larger. And then the transcendent. And that religion helps people with each one of these, with commitments and values. Right. Yep. That you, as you were saying, Father, it gives you a central value in which you stake everything else mm. around that value. But without it, then you're kind of untethered yeah. and you're willing to pick up things at random or drop them at random. I mean, that's why you see in Barnes & Noble that the New Age section is growing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right, It used right. to be kind of off in the corner. It was mm -hmm. kind of weird. But now it's, it's, it's a main feature. Yeah. Um, it's because in that vacuum uh, of religion, something else will fill its place. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a quote I think about from Jung all the time. He says, it's better to just consciously acknowledge God because if you don't, you'll worship something ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. You know, um, I don't think that's a great argument for God, but it's <laughs> mm -hmm. at least like a starting point of, you You will turn to something yeah. eventually. Yeah. So it's better to at least, you know, anchor yourself in something that's 2,000 years old. Right. And Peterson makes yeah, that, that point. Else. Yep. And they're like, we're going to worship something. Why, like, why not something like the self-giving man or the the anti-eatable mother in, in the yeah. Virgin Mary? You know, like he, he points to these... Um, like almost mythological symbols as like these don't seem like they can be easily replaced with like, well, you know, just be a good person. Like, right. you know, like let's just arbitrarily pick something to put at the highest. It's like this highest thing has to be like symbolic. It has to be yeah. mythical, real. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, yeah. It's um, Jung says that human nature abhors idealistic advice. Mm. <laughs> so if you, if your ideal mm. is just advice, 
and it's right. not a model to be embodied or imitated, that's where the struggle comes in. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, and he said that's also the mm. advantage of something like Catholicism, and I would say mm-hmm. Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. as opposed to Protestantism, is the imitation of Christ. Yep. Right. That the sacraments, yep. the church, all these are me- you are meant to enter into the life of the model mm. as opposed to claim it right. exteriorly. Well, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, on the on the idea of like having the myth as the highest thing, um, Murray Douglas Murray kind of pushes Peterson on this because you know Peterson is always like, "Well, is the Bible real? Depends on what you mean by real." Yeah. And then it goes into this whole tirade about Dostoevsky and what have you, like which is really like important. Uh, but then Murray kind of pushes back on that and is like, "Okay, but." Is it real? But is it real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to play that clip yeah. for you guys, and then we can discuss it. Is Dostoevsky true? You, you need to say in what sense. But then, I mean, the issue with the Bible, the issue with Christianity, the issue with faith, is that it's obviously different. It must be in a different realm. It's clearly in a different realm because it claims different things for itself. Dostoevsky doesn't demand that we believe that Raskolnikov lived. The Bible... If you're going to be a believer, you have to be able to say, in the words of the creed, that, that, you, be, that you believe in the virgin birth, that you believe, most importantly, in the resurrection. And, 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 and as you well know, Jordan, many of us can walk 99% of the way there in terms of belief in the, in the, in the truth of the story or as Betjeman puts it, but is it true? Is it true? And then stumble on the last thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I love uh, Peterson's response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah he, um, he really push, uh, puts him to task here. Um, yeah. Which I think is, is necessary because it, it kind of really, it, it puts you at the line that you need to, I mean, that's why it's called the leap of faith. Yeah. You know, like there is no, like, like there's no, direct connection between like a scientific proving that the resurrection happened. Um, I, we can play that yeah. clip later, but um, Peugeot mentions that in saying how like the resurrection was like purposefully obfuscated in its scientific description mm-hmm. because it's a, it is this thing of faith. It is like a different type of knowing yeah. that we come to believe that as opposed to like, well, here's what happened chemically. Yeah. It's like not the same thing. Well, and you know, I, I think, um, Douglas Murray pushing Peterson, he he explained the problem really clearly because ninety nine percent of the way there is not all the way there. Yeah, and you know you can't you can't be almost a Christian. You're either a Christian or mm-hmm. you're not. Um, yeah, and to like as much value as Jordan Peterson brings to um, uh, interpreting um, biblical stories, uh, that's not Christianity, right? Uh, and so it, it's an it's it is an all or nothing proposition. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I read uh, uh, a severe mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. Uh, this is a friend of C.S. Lewis, and he outlines his uh, conversion in this book. And he said that uh, he he went to Oxford. Uh, he 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 was an atheist, and he had a lot of friends in the literary you know culture there. C.S. Lewis being one of them. Uh, and he was like Peterson, ninety nine percent of the way there. Mm. He saw the value and the allure um, of Christianity. Uh, he admired a lot of things that Christianity brought to civilization and all the art and culture that came out of Christianity. Um, but he said it was on the night of his uh, conversion. What what clicked for him was realizing that while there was a leap of faith that he had to make to get to that hundred percent, mm-hmm. he said if he turned around he would have seen another leap of faith uh, in the sense that he would always ask himself, if he denied it, if he denied Christianity, he would always ask himself, well, what if it's all true? Like, what if it's all true? Right. And like this encounter with Christ, he, he essentially said that uh, it will haunt you for the rest of your life, mm. whether you deny it or accept it. Uh, and and that's, that's what spurred him to say, well, I have to make a leap of faith mm-hmm. either way. You know, and, and I think for Jordan Peterson... In a sense, even I don't know if he would admit it or not, but there is a sense of a, of a leap of faith that he's making right now because he's encountered Christ in the Bible. He has to say, "Well, I, I 
I'm not going to, I, I'm going to say that it's not true right now. Right. Um, you know, he, he kind of, he, he's very good at um, dodging the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that that's what, um, you know, that's the, uh, uh, the shadow effect of right. intelligence mm-hmm. <laughs> is that you can yeah, dodge yeah. this mm-hmm. issue almost indefinitely. Right. But um, I think on an existential level, the question of like, who is Christ? Mm. Uh, haunts him. That's gonna haunt him. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't Ratzinger talk about that of like um, doubt? Yes, um, he does. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. No. Um. So in the in, in introduction to Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, Ratzinger, Ratzinger's early work, I think he wrote it in the late '80s. Uh, he outlines this idea of faith and doubt, um, and it's very similar to Sheldon Van Auken's mm-hmm. um, conversion, where he says the person of faith, he may always struggle with. Doubt and doubt may be a temptation for him, mm-hmm. but the person who doubts is always tempted by faith. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, uh, living a life of faith and living a life of doubt is often at times a balancing act mm-hmm. where um, you're tempted by one or the other, depending on what side you fall on. Right. Um, and I think that's really important to uh, understand as people of faith. Uh, you know, I, I often get a lot of people um, coming to me saying, like, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with doubt, uh, and I, I'm tempted to doubt. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, the temptation there is not necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very natural to uh, struggle. The, the important thing is that you choose <laughs> to have faith, right? Yeah. Like, you, you make that decision despite your doubt. Mm-hmm. You have to make that leap. And, and I often, again, say, like, in accordance with Ratzinger, if you give in to your doubt, don't think that it's going to be uh, a walk in the park. Right. Like now I can, you know, now I can um, live materially and not mm-hmm. worry about faith. You will be tempted by faith. Yeah. You will be tempted by the question, who is Christ? Mm-hmm. You, that's inavo- in- inescapable. Uh, and it goes back to um, that clip we played with Rogan is, um, yeah. Or, or no, it goes back to the question of Douglas, second question of Douglas mm-hmm. Murray is like, what do you do when you encounter these moments of existential beauty? Um, you know, what's, what's the answer, answer yeah. there? So, yeah. yeah, I do think that like, even in the life of faith, you, um, have moments of doubt. And then, you know, as, as Peterson would say, like you act as if these things are real. Yeah. And then, but then the knowledge that comes to you is not really like a scientifically proven thing when you yeah. experience like a life of faith and how that moves in your life. Um, and you know, the fact that Christ is a person that we have to engage with in a relationship, I feel like is the best way to understand that because, you know, I can, I can always doubt whether or not my wife loves me yeah, or whether she's going to leave me. And there's always a seed that I'm going to act as if I love her and act as if she loves me and then see what happens. But it's never going to be like, well, the results are in and she's going to love you forever. Like there's, there, right. there's always mm-hmm. this intuition that comes from acting that way. And then you, you see what it does to your life. Right. Um, so it's never going to be scientifically proven, but that's how like relationships work. And that's yeah. like the messiness of realities that you move in a way and then you intuit that reality. Yeah. 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 It, the, the thing about Christianity is that it, it has from the very beginning been a historical religion. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a hallmark of it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember reading years ago and this, <laughs> this kind of blew my mind that uh, even the Apostles' Creed, so the, the most primitive form of profession of faith, is at times a very historical document and statement. You know, you have, uh, I believe in God, the, the Father of Money, you know, creator of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. So you can say that creation is a historical event. Mm-hmm. You, know, con- you know, Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. conception takes place in time, born mm-hmm. takes place in time, uh, lived, you know, suffered under Pontius yeah, Pilate, suffered under like, Pontius yeah, Pilate, yeah, historical lived, figure, you know, yeah, yeah. Lived, you know, rose again, mm-hmm. historical. You know, there was obviously you know resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. and such that are more uh, supernatural, mm-hmm. but all these are, are historical points in time, right? And that it has to be, in a sense, grounded in in history, um, because uh, Christ is is a symbolic figure, but he's also a man who was, you know, the God-man who was incarnated concretely in time. Yeah. Now, the Church Fathers, the thing about that is, uh, I think now, maybe more, uh, I don't know how to describe it, we'll just say like fundamentalist belief, is that Christianity kind of developed in a vacuum. 
you know, and mm-hmm. like you know, there is no pagan influence. But the thing is, the incarnation actually legitimized the pagan practices of other religions, right? And the, but it had to be concrete. Like mm-hmm. again, it couldn't just be a symbol. He had he could be both, but he couldn't just be a symbol. Mm-hmm. It, like these things actually had to happen in order for them to carry weight and valorize all the other practices. I mean, that's what yep. um, St. Paul says. Uh, it's not not in Athens. When he was talking to the philosophers in Greece. Yeah. Um, you know, the tomb of the unknown mm-hmm. god or the statue yes. of the unknown god. It's, you know, what you have unknowingly worshipped, I proclaim to you. Right. And now he's saying that um, God is legitimizing your practices, your sacrifices and your, your, your piety. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you where to aim it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because God has come among us mm-hmm. in time. Yeah. Um, and I think the important thing also is that not just that Christ rose past tense, but that he is risen. Mm-hmm. That he not just rose from the dead past historical event, but he did in time and now lives eternally. Yeah. Right. That has existential consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, you know, just the other day I was teaching RCAA uh, on the incarnation. Uh, and one thing I really wanted to hammer home was just how um, incredible this fact, this truth uh, that God became man and entered into our time. Or I think it's more accurate to say that he actually brought time into himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if, if God is unchangeable, right? Like, what does that mean that he assumed human nature? How does that affect him? Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, that, that's another discussion. Mm-hmm. But this idea that God is no longer this abstract idea that we can just admire. But if we say that he became man, then that means that we have to live differently. We have to. If that's a truth that we're going to hold, right? right? If the premise is that God became man, mm-hmm. then like, we have to pay attention. We can no longer just live in the realm of ideas, philosophize about these mm-hmm. things on our couches. Like, th- there's, a, there's an action that has to take place if God became man. Like that's, and, and that's the whole idea of the imitation of Christ. Right. As Peterson says, it's mm-hmm. the um, enacting the meta pattern of Christ's life into your own life. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, so ultimately, um, it, it impacts the, not only the way we see the world, but the way we act in it. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think what Peterson's like, what his contribution to this discussion has been societally has been really to like revivify that idea of the myth um, and like who Christ is symbolically, um, like what the Bible is, and then understanding that like, you know, he's not saying this explicitly, but like, if Christ came down and you believe that God became man, he didn't just like show up like some divine being show up and tell you the rules and then like peace out. Yeah. Like that's what a lot of people think we mean by like Christ became incarnate. But what he's saying is like, no, 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 no. Like the mythological became flesh, Mm -hmm. you know, like the myth Mm -hmm. of, of of the ultimate King of Kings and like the way he like unpacks all of that. He's like re, um, sparking that idea of like, what does it mean to have a myth? Um, something like fiction that's like this diluted truth. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like it really just, it it brings a new light into like what has been kind of a decaying understanding of Christianity. Um, and it is kind of what C.S. Lewis understood as like the true myth. Yeah, You know, exactly. like when Christ comes down, it's, it's not, it's not um, subduing the idea of myth and all of its weighty implications of how that moves cultures and, and people worship to that myth. That kind of thing happened in history. Yeah. And that's what like Lewis is getting at. And that's the, that's the marriage of heaven and earth. Yeah. And, like the marriage of the, the ideal and the practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately, like, that's the, um, the fullness of man. Yeah. Right. Like, the, you know, the tensions that we can experience of our body and soul. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel divided and we, we tend, we can tend towards dualism. All that is reconciled in mm-hmm. Christ, who is God, you know, that, that, that idea. Um, and then man is the particular. Yeah. And that's why, um, is it in Gaudium et Spes? Um, where God not, uh, Christ not only reveals God to God, but um, yeah. man to. Man to himself. Yeah. yeah. This is it, Christ not only reveals God to man, but also reveals man to man. <laughs> right. He shows us who we really are. Yeah. Um, so. Right. If we're made in the image of God, then a revelation of who God is is a more of a revelation of ourselves. Of, of ourselves. Yeah. 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 Uh, reading Ewing has really helped me understand Peterson a lot, as might be expected. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> but 
uh, I, I think the question of real and true, uh, we touched on this before, but for Jung, it's whatever has an impact on you and you experience is, and, and what works is true and real. Mm. So mm. You know, the question of, are dreams real? It's like, well, do they have a, a real impact on you? Mm -hmm. Does it sometimes yeah. change the way you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, seems real to me, you know. So, I think for Peterson, we part of what he's getting at is when you read the Bible and you say, you know, man, this is my life, mm -hmm. or that there's something deeply true about I must undergo crucifixion if I want resurrection. Right. That in order right. to become new, I have to die. It's like well, that seems true. That yeah. seems so in a, or that seems real. Yep. And that has a real impact. Mm -hmm. So. But not in the real that scientists think. That's exactly well, what yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah. We, we tend to think that in our postmodern society, real for us is equatable to material fact. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Mm -hmm. That's not, yeah. When, when we use real in, in our conversation, mm -hmm. it's, it's as you were saying. That so, actually ties yeah. into a clip I want to play um, from Peugeot talking about how the resurrection was not mechanically described by intention. So there's a desire in the text to obfuscate the mechanical causes of the resurrection. And that is not the way. So if you try to get at it that way, you're never going to get there, obviously. But I don't get there that way because I don't. I see through the world through the resurrection and it makes so much more sense. And that's, that's maybe C.S. Lewis's argument is to say, it's like, give me that one. We need one miracle. Everybody needs one miracle to then lay the world out from, from that miracle, whether it's the Big Bang, whether it's whatever it is, you need that first miracle. So give me the resurrection and I'll explain the entire key of human experience through that one miracle. And so that is what convinces me of the resurrection. I don't know if that makes sense to you. He um, previously they discussed how um, Douglas Murray was saying like, well, if you believe in the resurrection, that kind of like really doesn't fit well with what we know about science. And so you kind of have to presume that this thing that you believe that like reveals reality to you is self-contradictory. And Peugeot was like, yeah, like more, is that like less impossible than the Big Bang? Yeah. Because ultimately science and any field is, it keeps going down to some sort of like, well, we have to take this presumption that this happened first and then, right. And then reality. And he talks about like that, out. like whatever our worldview may be, we need that one miracle. Yeah. Um, scientific or religious, Christian or whatever, um, there's a miracle that is the foundation for our worldview. Right. So Yeah, I think, um, so like tying this back to what we were saying earlier, um, the resurrection seems like it's something that obviously is categorized in the idea of faith, of a type of knowing. This is like back to this book we're reading, Flight from Women, Carl Stern's two different ways of knowing. He has the scientific knowledge and then poetic knowledge. Mm -hmm. Scientific is like separating and, and looking at particles and, and seeing things in individual parts. And poetic knowledge is more like a bringing together and an, an intuiting. And we've kind of like lost that aspect of our um, cognition. Mm -hmm. um, even Ian, Ian McGilchrist, who's a neuroscientist, um, he talks about this as well, that like we're really heavy, heavily left brain. And that's that scientific knowledge and we're losing that right brain capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that makes sense in, even in a neuroscientific, in a neuroscientific way um, and a psychological way. But that's what we mean by faith mm -hmm. is that, is that we have these things that are revealed to us and we take in as a whole, as opposed to trying to separate. And that's when we come to a certain type of knowledge, like what you were saying with Jung being like, this is true but not in the scientific way that we're saying true. This is true in a different type of way that yeah. we've kind of lost as a society of understanding, yeah. like a mythos. Right. And it, just a quick comment on, you know, while the mechanics are not worked out in Scripture of how Christ rose from the dead, um, you know, just to, I think it's important to make the distinction that, you know, within Scripture there is, uh, there's an emphasis that his body did rise, of course. Right. Um, just because it's not mechanically explained doesn't mean that um, that question is ignored. Mm -hmm. You know, throughout throughout the resurrection accounts, um, the 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 evangelists make a concerted effort to show that Christ ate breakfast, right. that he walked with you know his disciples. Mm -hmm. um, he told Thomas to put his finger in his side and you know in his wounds. Yep. So, 
while the mechanics are not worked out, yes, I just want to make that you know yeah, distinction sure. that mm-hmm. um, it's very clear if you read the scriptures carefully. Uh, they're saying that no, Christ didn't rise just spiritually, or this a ghost, mm-hmm. or you know, this uh, the resurrection is supposed to be symbolic. It's literal, and that's you know, of course, you know, Peugeot um, obviously agrees with that and saying that that's the miracle on which his worldview is laid upon. Um, but just to make that distinction, just mm-hmm. because the mechanics are not there um, in detail, doesn't mean that we say that you know the, the really resurrection happen. is yeah exactly mm-hmm. so right. yeah 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 the um, speaking of that like Christ ate with them like post resurrection. Um, I thought it was an interesting. I think they mentioned in this episode where they talk about the road to Emmaus, how like um, they did it, right. Yeah, he was saying how like when Christ rose, like we don't know what that meant because like even the apostles couldn't recognize him. Yeah, or his disciples didn't recognize. So like, there's something about it that was not just like oh, like his body just like yeah. woke up. Um, so like a glorified body of some sort again, like obfuscated. Yeah. Um, but in the road to Emmaus, you have him opening up the scriptures to his disciples yeah. and then breaking bread with them. And that's when they recognize him mm-hmm. is, is when he gathers the things when he's like explaining the scriptures to them in a way that they intuit and they see Christ. Yeah. Um, and like even the breaking the bread is like communion, do this in remembrance of me. It's like, remember bringing together. All of that is that intuitive poetic knowledge yeah. that he's bringing. And that's when they see. And then you contrast that to, Thomas, who said, I must put my finger in his side and pierce. Yeah, scientific. Yeah. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen but believe. Yeah. Um, so that's all there in this, like, there's a way that we're coming about this belief in the resurrection that is a type of poetic knowledge and mm-hmm. intuition that science can't explain. Yeah. And, you know, I like how he doesn't negate Thomas's belief. Yeah. Um, you know, like, that was still a way of knowing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he's like, you You believe because you have seen. Right. He doesn't say, like, well, and your belief is, um, you know, worth nothing. Right, right. Uh, you know? if, if, like, if, um, Douglas Mur- if Douglas Murray made the 100%, you know, like, came yeah. from the pragmatic, like, well, this works in reality, and, and society seems like to do better under a Christian framework, I guess I'll be a Christian. He yeah. starts to worship and act in that way. Like, that is a legitimate path towards Christ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. no, no, that's, that's very true. There's... um. Can, you know, talking about the road to Emmaus, uh, talking about the resurrection accounts, I think there's a sense of, uh, first of all, it, it is very odd um, that his apostles don't recognize him. Um, you know, Mary Magdalene, the first one that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, saw Jesus, um, saw Jesus resurrected. Y- yeah, we can point to the resurrected body, but um, there's also a sense that they, they they might have not recognized him because they knew that he was dead, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like they saw him die, and you know, in order to say that this is actually the person that I saw die, that would actually change your entire worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that it's that worldview that Peugeot is saying that the resurrection is the foundation. That's what was being reestablished in the apostles' mind. Right, is an actually an entirely different worldview. Mm-hmm. When Christ died, before he rose, that destroyed everything that Christ worked for, um, in the apostles' mind. Mm-hmm. It's you know, if there is no resurrection, then death has the final say, and you know, it doesn't matter that Jesus was God or not. Mm-hmm. Like death still had <laughs> had victory. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that he rose uh, is is a changing um, is is a worldview that needs to be undone. Yep. And so I think like Mary Magdalene or the apostles saying we don't recognize you. It's like, yeah, of course you wouldn't because you saw your friend die. <laughs> yeah. And people don't rise from the dead, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, 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 yeah, or bring themselves back to life. Um, and then uh, considering the road to Emmaus too, I think the rec- like they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. They understood the scriptures. There's more than just recognizing him as the person who died on the cross risen. But I think that there's also a sense of recognizing his mission and like who he, he is. It's like now everything makes sense. Like everything in the scriptures, everything you did before you went to the cross, and now, now that you're risen, right? And now that we can actually remember this in the breaking of the bread, mm-hmm. I understand God now. <laughs> you right, know, right. Um, and like what a bold claim that mm-hmm. is, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and understand as insofar as we can, um, not yeah. fully comprehending, but um, not just recognizing a person, but actually recognizing like the, the master plan. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's all there in those resurrection accounts. It's pretty fascinating. Mm. So, um, another clip I wanted to play um, was from 
Murray talking about uh, the benefits of ritual worship. This kind of ties into like, you know, yeah, we can believe Christ was incarnate and was God and rose from the dead, but like now what? You know, like what is our call to action here? One of the key advantages of religion, uh, organized worship, organized weekly worship, um, uh, um, as you say, the moment of, of being able to feel grateful, which, as, as you know, I wrote about this in my last book, is the only possible, only possible answer to the, cu- the culture of resentment. But, but, but uh, uh, absent a weekly hour or hour and a half where you, you have that, you have to recognize your sins and w- what you've done against other people, and you have to signal that you would like to be better uh, going forward and that you would like to, um, after all, this is what the Eucharist is about, memorialize again the most important thing that happened. Uh, unless you unless you have that, as it were, in the calendar, for most people, all of these things slip by. And it's always going to be a... Um, uh, um, you're never going to find the week in the the hour in the week where you even turn off your damn iPhone. And- so he's really getting at like the like, if if we take these pragmatic uh, points seriously, that like um, religious beliefs are useful and we should like tend to the highest thing, then let's like start to ritualize that. And mm-hmm. like you eventually stumble. It's like, well, we just made a religion that's not a religion, right? Um, yeah. So it's like the advantage even pragmatically speaking, is that you have to go to sun, um, Sunday Mass. You know, like <laughs> yeah, right. you, you have, you, you're encouraged to pray often, you know, like communicate with God to confess your sins. Like all of that's ritualized uh, in a way that you would probably do anyway, even if you tried to just assemble a way of being that's pragmatically useful. Yeah, yeah you need that time to uh, be set apart. Like you, you need something that is extraordinary something out of the ordinary mm-hmm. a building that is not ordinary um something that is you know literally holy holy in, in the terms of set apart mm-hmm. um right. to remember in a sense who you are you know to do a a um lion king reference mm-hmm. you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know you know remember that you know it's it's actually i am not everything i could be mm-hmm. uh you know that i have not honored god in the way i i, I should have throughout the week or you know, I, or my neighbors, I've, I've not treated them, I've treated them sinfully, or, or whatever it is, um, and I, I do think it hits at some of these deepest levels of gratitude mm-hmm. um, that Douglas Murray is talking about. Both the old and the new mass begin with the uh, confidior, the I confess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both um, you know the priest and the people. That's that's to, to begin the liturgy to even enter into the you know the, the sanctuary in the old mass you mm-hmm. know the priest no one would even enter the sanctuary until you had confessed your sins mm-hmm. and prepared yourself to celebrate right the sacred yeah. mystery yeah that's like a cutting off right and like yep. moving into something that's extraordinary right right you know yeah. we used to I mean a lot of churches still have it but you know the three steps mm-hmm. up you know mm-hmm. the whole the, the holy 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 mm-hmm. walking into the temple. Mm. Um, but again, you cannot go until you've been purified. Right. You cannot enter. And the same thing, you know, you can't receive the Eucharist until you've confessed yeah. your sins, until um, you said, I'm not worthy, but say the word. Um, and, you, and you, you know, you shall come into my house. Exactly. Um, this, yeah. um, this talk of organized religion, I know gets like a bad rap. Uh, as like, well, why can't I just like believe in Jesus and be a good person? Like, I'll believe all the tenets that like Jesus came down and, uh, became man and rose from the dead and like he is my god but i don't need like organized religion like i just like believe um ironically that seems that's like a very unscientific way of approaching it you know it's like it's like this disembodied thing it's yeah. like even if you were looking at like basic um like habit building you it has to be embodied into yeah. something like a structure i was um reminded of the book atomic habits by james clear he has a really famous quote which i love and this is just based on like pop psychology, like how to build habits, um, not religious. He says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Hmm. So that's just like basic 101, how to build a yeah. habit of like, you don't like, you can have these ideals in your head, but what are you doing? Yeah. Like what mm-hmm. is your body doing on a day-to-day basis? So like, that's why daily prayer is a thing. Mm-hmm. Not because yeah. like, oh, the church said so. It's like, no, in the morning you go to the highest place 
you you con- converse with God, you come down the mountain, and you live your life, yeah, and exactly. you do that in a patterned way. Yeah, because left to our own devices, we tend to forget. Um, one of the Hebrew words for sin is actually forgetfulness, mm. uh, and and that's exactly why the highest point of worship, uh, we say, you know, do this in memory of me. The anamnesis, yep. remembering, yep. bringing to uh, uh, present the the past. Um, like like Douglas Murray said, we uh, memorialize the most important thing that happened mm-hmm. weekly. It has to be constant. Um, and this is why there's no contradiction in saying that, you know, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross um, was once and for all, right? You know, he said it is accomplished, and yet we uh, memorialize that sacrifice every week. There's no contradiction there. Um, I think there's some, um, you know, some Protestants would say, like, why do you have Mass, and why do you believe that if his um, sacrifice was, um, you know, immemorial, uh, if it was uh, uh, just enough for all of time? It's like, well, the reason we do that is because we as humans experience time differently. <laughs> you know, we have to memorialize that because we are beings in time. Um, and so we have to remember. We have to constantly remember. Um, again, left to our own devices, we tend to forget. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, we definitely work off the print, the incarnational principle. That's like yeah. both body and soul. Like yep. we are, uh, the, the revelation is aimed at humans. Yep. And humans consist of bodies and souls. Right. Or a body and a soul, yeah. if you're mm-hmm. one individual, you know, but all, but all of us together, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so God is pure spirit. So it's true. God does exist everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, can I just pray in my living room? It's like, sure, you could. But religion is expressed in the truths of it are expressed in bodily uh, embodiment, mm-hmm. in, your, in your kneeling, mm-hmm. in your sitting, in your standing, and in, in these gestures. So, it's true, you can pray in your living room, but you should go to a space that is designated for this. Yeah, right. Because that is that is where you need to incarnate mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> right. God in your in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Through bodily gestures. Yeah, it and really that, speaks yeah. to the like the the claim of Christianity of like what Christ's incarnation did to the like reality itself. Like why we use incense and why are there candles and why is there an altar? Yeah, exactly. Why is there a church? Like these are not arbitrary things. They're all like portals and like symbols of reality that Christ has now redeemed because of his incarnation. So it's not like we're just putting candles because it's dark. It's like there might have been a practical use, but they're like more than that. This is what we're speaking. Like when when people complain, it's like why why does the church have so much gold when they can give it to the poor? It's like this is what we think of God. Yeah. That all of creation, including gold has been redeemed and now needs to point to the highest place. Yeah. So of course the highest place is going to be made of gold. Yeah. Like yeah. If yeah. I, anything else would be a contradiction. Yeah. yeah. When exactly. I when I read Kant's uh, religion within the the limits of reason alone, it what it, what one point I got from it was it seemed like a very disembodied religion. It, it you know it, it almost mm. seemed um, gnostic, mm. and and um, Joseph Campbell kind of gets a little bit of this of like, no, 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 it's about encountering the symbols. Yeah. Like, no more of this like history stuff. Just mm-hmm. do the symbols. And it's very, very Gnostic. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you're not just your mind, you're also your body. Right. That's again, that's why you have to go physically to a place mm-hmm. and physically kneel. Yeah. Right. To, to, to right. Uh, really get this, like you said, this whole experience, you mm-hmm. know, you have to have the smells and the bells. Right. Yeah. You know, the lights, the, the, the water, mm-hmm. the wine. Right. I mean, the church fathers saw not just man, but even all of creation as redeemed by Christ's death. Yeah. So water, you know, received yeah. its supernatural yeah. purpose. Now it could cleanse uh, mm-hmm. men, not just of dirt, but of their sins. Mm-hmm. You know, wine could become blood. Right. You know, bread could become body. All, all these things now received a supernatural purpose. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of like, um, you know, why people make pilgrimages. It's like, if you can, you know... Uh, pray in your own room, uh, or even if you can go to uh, your local parish, it's like, what's this need for a pilgrimage? But uh, I think that um, uh, why pilgrimages are so popular is because it's speaking to this idea of embodiment, of recognizing, like, you know, the the journey of the soul to God, right? Um, Recognizing, like, your own um, path and your own story, Mm -hmm. uh, and embodying that in a pilgrimage yes you can go to church uh, like again at your local right. parish but um 
I think something like a pilgrimage is like a, a great uh, example of embodiment of uh, your spiritual journey. Right. Um, so. Yeah. And I, then, you know, you could be like, well, that's like for people that need that uh, ability to think on that level. But, you know, again, like you could just think that God is God and you just have that in your head. But like you don't even do that with relationships. Like, I can't yeah. tell my wife that, like, I love you, but I'm not really going to do anything. Oh, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, yeah. if you think that yeah, I right. don't, or, like, I'm not I'm not doing the things you ask, I'm like, you know that I love you. It's like, yeah. but you're not doing things. Yeah. Like, it's not embodied. Yeah. I mean, this was an argument I used to give to my high school students who I was teaching, was it, it's just a, a feature, and a known feature of human nature, that what is common is devalued. Right. You know, like, mm. you, you, yeah. you sleep in your bedroom, you chill in your living room, you cook in your kitchen. Like you don't really mm-hmm. do anything else. Like there's, there's just things you do and you need to have something out of the ordinary in order to value it. Mm-hmm. And there is a very big difference between going to your room saying, ah, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. God, I'm sorry. Then waiting in line, going right. to a church, mm-hmm. waiting in line, going into a room, closing the door and mm-hmm. saying out loud right. to a man who's, you know, in persona Christi, yeah, I um I cheated. Right. You know, I lied. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I did X Y and Z. So yeah. That there's a psychological yeah. difference yeah. Yeah. in all of that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, just like, you know, hopping out of bed and being like, "Up, oh, I love God." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not it doesn't it doesn't affect you on the level of your nature because yeah. your nature needs to be to to embody ideas. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Peugeot, I'm going to play this clip where Peugeot talks about how like that's the whole point of religion. It's not a list of beliefs or ethics, it's practice. There's a lot of talk about belief and and I can't believe this or I believe that and that ethics and belief. But the thing about religion is that it's practice. It's not, it's actually not belief. Although belief is part of it, but it's, it's embodiment and it's practice and it's, and it's worship. And so Mm -hmm. This, this moment that you talk about, this moment where you glimpse something, this love which transcends this momentary, where you feel like you're transported. Well, the answer, the only answer to that that we can have is something like gratitude, right? It's something like this moment of, of gratitude and of recognizing it as this gift which comes from more, let's say. And I think that the truth is that that is actually, that's the foundation even of the Christian religion, those churches that are there, that's what they're for, right? They're objects of worship. They're, they're, they're objects that point up to the sky in this celebration and gratitude for those exact moments and those things, those glimpses of light that we are given that guide us through the world. So back to what you were saying about like, you know, getting a glimpse of beauty um, and trying to see how that uh, kind of opened up the doors to your own faith. That's kind of what he's getting at and being like, what, when we, when we ask, what do we make of these patterns? The, what you have to do now is embody that. Mm-hmm. And that looks like worship. That looks like going to a place and bringing all of that to one thing and raising it up and remember. Um, yeah. It, it just, it's such a missed point of what religion is. I, I think it was important that Peugeot, you know, mentioned that, that, people get hung up on religion being, or specifically Christianity being like the set of rules and the set of mm-hmm. beliefs you mm-hmm. have to have as opposed to a way mm-hmm. uh, of living. Yeah. I think it's uh, Rudolf Bultmann. He's a kind of a famous commentator on scripture, uh, said, if the bones of Jesus were found, nothing would change. Mm. The ethics would still yeah. be the same. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, but it's, there, there's many problems with that. But for, firstly, it's not just that Jesus came and gave us a nice set of rules for life. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's not. That's not the primary thing yeah. <laughs> that He gave mm-hmm. us. It's not just uh, uh, like you said. Christianity is sometimes um, compartmentalized as like, well, um, if you ask me what I think, you know, happens after we die, religion. You know, here it is. Yep. And then if you ask me what we should do about politics, it's over here. It's I'm I'm a conservative. Mm-hmm but these two don't touch. It's like, well, it's actually supposed to be a whole way, as right, you said, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, like a, a, a scope. I mean, uh, Jonathan Pajot said it earlier, like I see the world through the resurrection. Right. So you see everything it through through yeah. the incarnation. I also, you know, I was always confused about like Baltman's statement um, because doesn't St. Paul say explicitly that if Christ yep. did not rise, yep. our faith is in vain? 
That, that's so, literally the contradiction well, everyone brings up is like, yeah, is. Does is, he think like is he not aware of that? I, or does he think he's? He didn't read the whole Bible. Paul? Yeah, I'm, that's that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah anyway, no, that's, no, that's, yeah, it's exactly what Saint Paul says. Is like actually, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, like all this is useless. <laughs> <laughs> like, and like we're the worst people. Bones, um, yeah, you know, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a scripture scholar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because isn't he right? He's, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, he's a scripture scholar. I, yeah, um, nineteenth, twentieth century scripture scholar stuff, yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. Too- um, there's there's a quote from Jung I'd like to read. Um, you guys know it. I sent it to you guys a long time ago. But uh, this is from Ion. Uh, How has the death of Christ brought us redemption when no one feels redeemed? In what way is Jesus a God-man? And what is such a being? What is the Trinity about? The eating of the body and the drinking of the blood and all the rest of it. What connection can there be between the world of such concepts and everyday world? whose material reality is the concern of natural science on the widest possible scale. At least 16 hours out of the 24 hours we live exclusively in the everyday, we exclusively live in the conscious world. And the remaining eight, we preferably live in an unconscious condition. Where and when does anything take place to remind us even remotely of the phenomenon like angels, miraculous feedings, beatitudes, and the resurrection of the dead? And I thought... This is, this is mass. In yeah. some sense, this is why you have mass. The answer to that quote is mass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's like yeah. where, where, like where can I go, right, to be reminded of such things? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's not the only purpose, but that is a purpose of mass. Is right. So you've been busy all week. You know, you've mm-hmm. you've had your families, your children, your jobs, everything. Remember, right. Reminded that there is more to this life mm-hmm. than the than the business. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I've actually um. I love that quote, and yeah, I, I, I have actually used that quote in um, a homily on my um, uh, uh, Holy Thursday homily. Mm. Um, just talking about the Mass, you know, mm-hmm. um, the institution of the Eucharist. And um, yeah, because while he doesn't give an answer, you're exactly right. Like, the Mass is the perfect answer <laughs> yeah. to the question he's posing. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I read this, and then I went <laughs> to, to Mass, mass. <laughs> the next the next day, and it was... Uh, one of the the feeding of the like five thousand or whatever, really? <laughs> which he oh, talks wow. about miraculous yeah, feeding. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. well, here's a place you can yeah. be reminded. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but that's a, yeah. It's like I said, it's not the obviously the only pr- purpose, but it is again to set you apart. Like you've had your your job, and yeah. now you need to be brought into thinking of heavenly things now. Right, and it's and so then. easy to live your life thinking that um, what you do aside from that one hour a week is the real or, or the yeah. important, you yeah. know? but when it's really in reality, it's flipped. Like the hour that you spend uh, a week for the most part, if for those of us who don't go to daily mass, <laughs> but for me, you know, as a priest, like at mass, that's actually the moment where you're experiencing the real, real, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, right. the mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. that transcends reality. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and that's what Douglas Murray, anything was saying was like having this time um, put into your schedule otherwise, because it is very easy to be caught up in, in, the everyday life and mm-hmm. the mundane. Yeah. It's like, if you don't yeah. have this um, obligation now, obviously you should do it at free will, but at, at the beginning, an imperfect way of going to mass is because you're obligated. Right. Yeah. At least right. to say, all right, you know, I, 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 I need to do this to, you know, be reconnected with the deepest truths and realities mm-hmm. of the world. Right. Otherwise you're right. It's like, I'll just be on my iPhone. <laughs> I'll be yeah. playing Xbox. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, <laughs> Instead, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there is there is something to be said about the ethics and the mm-hmm. rules mm-hmm. of the faith. Um, and I think it plays into, it feeds from the belief and the practice. Um, there was a, a conversation with Peterson and Ian McGilchrist. He's a neuroscientist. I had just mentioned him earlier. But um, he was talking about, Peterson mentioned that a patient of his had um, OCD and was trying to parse out like really particularized things um, that people just do intuitively. And he asked Peterson, he's like, you know, I'm trying, I'm like, I don't want to spread disease. And so I don't know when I should pick up a newspaper off the ground when it's safe to, and when it's not in thinking that I might contract disease and spread it to somebody else. When, when do you think it's okay to pick up a newspaper? And Peterson's like, I don't know. Like there's like 40 million scenarios. Like it might be too folded. It might be damp. It might be on fire. Like, like this is something that doesn't categorize into something that can be listed like an ethic. It's something that's intuitive, but 
there are general rules that you can follow. Like, yes, if it's on fire, you should probably not pick it up. If it has like cyanide on it, you should probably not pick it up. You know, like general rules. But then from there, you you use that as a moral guideline and then you move in a way. So that's mm-hmm. the way this plays out into how Christianity has rules, but it's because you have this practice mm-hmm. that lets that bleed out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I, and then, you know, obviously Ian McGill, Chris is talking about how that, that's like cross-culturally and like through different aspects of life, how that's been affecting everybody. Just like we think in these like, well, I can't believe about the resurrection and I, and I have a, like, what, I don't I have a problem with this rule about the church and this rule, but it's like, it's not about the rules. It's about living in a way and worshiping the highest thing. And then the rules come from that. Then you understand why those are in place. It's mm-hmm. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Again, when I quoted St. John the Cross last time, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the for the righteous man, there is no law. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, he's exactly. become a law unto right. himself. It's, yeah. it's, that's actually yep. the height. That's what you're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not, what, yeah. That's what yeah. Christ says. Like, I brought freedom um, right. from the law. So, yep. I think that's a good place to stop. I'm out of clips. Um <laughs> basicallyrelated.com uh, to sign up for our AMA. Um, I'm Matt Hylam on all social media and Lee is Coach Lee. We'll see y'all later.